Welcome to the Final Choice Podcast, a series created to help people get more informed about assisted dying and the End of Life Choice Act. I'm journalist and author of the Final Choice book, Carolise Trays. In my book, I interviewed more than 20 experts from across New Zealand and the globe, along with a number of those with disabilities and terminal illnesses. Through this podcast series, I'll take you on some of the journey in exploring if assisted dying is the answer to end-of-life suffering. The series includes excerpts of interviews from the Final Choice book, read by broadcaster Trudy Nelson. Welcome to episode four, Autonomy vs. Protection, with excerpts from Queen's Council member Grant Illingworth. I think it's fair to say many of us Kiwis will approach the binding referendum question about the End of Life Choice Act with a firm stance that autonomy is of essential importance. And it truly is. My life, my body, right? But interestingly, what I found out while interviewing a Queen's Council member was that it's also the job of good lawmaking to weigh that autonomy with a responsibility to protect citizens. And for this law, those protections come in the form of safeguards. Act MP and legislation author David Seymour says the safeguards are good enough, that this act is one of the safest in the world. That's a pretty big claim, and one that isn't agreed on by all. What are some of these safeguards in the act, and how do we analyse them? And how did we find ourselves here voting on a specific piece of legislation? Grant Illingworth shares his perspective. Chapter 13. Grant Illingworth. Grant Illingworth's home in Epsom is impressively central. It matches my expectations for one of our country's highly regarded barristers. Large, formal, inside gates. Proper, but down to earth. Grant answers the doorbell and welcomes me into his downstairs office. We sit to discuss a lawmaker's perspective on the Act. I've read Grant's opinion pieces published by Stuff and have a fair idea that he considers the act contrary to what good law is intended for. But I want to know why and what exactly it is about this act that bothers him. Grant has been practising law in New Zealand for more than 40 years and was appointed as Queen's Counsel in 2003. I ask him to help me better understand his concerns in non-legal speech really a legal guide for dummies on the EOLC Act. Grant has been practising law in New Zealand for more than 40 years and was appointed as Queen's Counsel in 2003. I ask him to help me better understand his concerns in non-legal speech, really a, a legal guide for dummies on the EOLC Act. It's important to note that Parliament has enacted the End of Life Choice Act on the 16th of November 2019. This means that it will automatically come into force if the outcome of the binding referendum is yes. Parliament will not need to review it. It'll be introduced in the exact form it's currently in. Why is that important? It means that people voting need to fully understand what the exact act is. It's a finished piece. There is no room for adjustment. It's an extraordinary situation, really, for an act to wait for final approval from a binding referendum and immediately become active. This has never happened in New Zealand before. Normally, this decision is made by Parliament. And to Grant, this isn't a good thing. 
It's a huge concern. The public are being asked to make a legal decision, which is for this particular form of end-of-life choice legislation. How are the public expected to know the legal technicalities, yet they're actually voting for just that, a set of legal rules that will come into force? The Act contains a number of complicated procedures that the general public can't be expected to understand, certainly not without help. Grant says these types of acts are normally considered and dismantled by lawyers and courts as there can be all sorts of subtleties that need to be considered. In this case, it seems the Select Committee has not really attempted to grapple with the technicalities of the draft that was enacted. In effect, Parliament has passed the buck to the public in relation to an issue that would be quality control for legislation. New Zealand First says the general public are knowledgeable and up with the play, choosing to send it to a referendum as a good act of democracy in their view. There's absolutely nothing wrong with referendums being used to determine a policy, but there's a big difference between making a decision on a policy and making a decision on a specific set of rules. If the New Zealand public were being asked, do you think we should have an end-of-life choice, yes or no, or something to that effect, it would be a perfectly good referendum question. But to be asked to sanction an act of Parliament as a whole is a different thing altogether. Several times through the journey of discovery so far, I've wondered how the concept of freedom of choice interacts with law. How do we have freedom to decide what we want when there's obviously the law of the land at work? How do we make law that doesn't impede on people's rights? And in a day where my body, my choice is becoming the mantra of the moment, how does law allow for this when it decides what is and isn't allowed for everyone? Grant gently takes me through a basic understanding of the motivation of law. If we go back to the 1600s, which is a long way back, there was a very important case called Calvin's case. It was in England. The courts in England essentially said that people who are subject to the laws of the country owe a duty of allegiance to the crown. Essentially, this means you have a duty to be loyal to the queen and representatives. And on the other side of the coin is the Crown has a duty of protection. That duty of protection has been part of the obligation of the governments for centuries. It's recognised in Section 8 of the Bill of Rights Act of New Zealand. So every citizen, every permanent resident and indeed every visitor has the right to be protected by the Crown and its agencies. That's why we have a police force. When someone takes a gun and tries to murder people in a mosque, the police turn out in force and protect our community. They are fulfilling the Crown's obligation to protect us. So protection is a foundational principle in good lawmaking. That's why to suggest people can be killed without adequate safeguards means we have forgotten that fundamental aspect of our community arrangements. We've forgotten that the Crown has a duty to safeguard life and make sure those safeguards are effective and appropriate. If Parliament is authorising doctors to kill people without appropriate safeguards, then the Crown has breached the obligation which has existed for hundreds of years. Basically, it all comes down to one thing. Does this statute safeguard human life in the way it should? Safeguards, a word I've heard tossed around perpetually by David Seymour and those in support who say this act is tight, but how tight do these safeguards against coercion actually need to be? In 45 years of legal practice, I've met many, many people who have used pressure, manipulation and all sorts of devious methods to get their own way. There are many, many people in our community willing to do that to get a person's money. 
it's utterly naive to think this statute contains sufficient safeguards to protect people from that pressure. You only have to think for a moment what the financial benefits can be if a vulnerable person has life insurance or owns property to realise this is a real problem. The opportunity is there, the ability to hide it is there. The only question is, are there really people out there who will do this? And the answer is, that's why the criminal courts are full every day of people being sentenced for wrongdoing. There are heaps of people in our community willing to do wrong things to achieve advantage for themselves. I realised while reflecting after my interview with Grant that the legal scales are a symbol of how law has to keep the weight of autonomy balanced with the ability to protect. So because we are looking at a piece of legislation in this referendum, not just the principle of assisted dying, we have to carefully check, is this the right law for the job? Trying to combine autonomy and protection is a funny thing. It's kind of like mixing oil and water. Most of us Kiwis like to live each to their own. We're fiercely independent and righteously indignant against judgmentalism. We don't like it if someone tells us what to do, and we don't like telling others what to do. That's the water, so what's the oil? Batting for the underdog and sticking up for the little guy, protecting the weak and defending the marginalised, ensuring everyone has been heard and all play a part. Social equality. That's true democracy after all. So it's a tricky spot we find ourselves in. Autonomy and choice is an important foundation of freedom, but protecting and considering others has to be its best mate. Because we are engaging in a referendum of a legal nature, we've been granted permission to consider whether this act is good for someone else. Not only do we have permission but we should be compelled to also assess its impact on others. How are we going to do that? One way is to read the final choice and vote. In the next episode, I'll look at how dignity and dependence interact with Disabilities Rights Commissioner Paula Tesserero and quadriplegic and disability advocate Claire Freeman. If you enjoyed this episode, why not share it and tell a friend about it? Purchase a copy of The Final Choice book from your local bookstore or online at thefinalchoice.nz where an ebook version is also available.